Uh, hi, I'm going to read um, Acts chapter 3 all the way through to Acts 4.31. Um, so what happened just before this, uh, Luke is uh, the author of this book, and he's told us in chapter 1, he told us about Jesus's last days, uh, how he promised the Holy Spirit would come and be with the disciples and all those who trust him, and then ascended into heaven. Uh, and then we see that the Holy Spirit did come. Uh, he filled the disciples, and they spoke to thousands of Jews uh, and proved to them and explained to them how Jesus, who they'd just crucified, uh, was the Messiah and Christ and King that they were waiting for. Um, and then thousands of them were saved and trusted Jesus. So that's where we pick up the story. Uh, so please join with me. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth, by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. But when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. 
for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered to again, together against your holy servant, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, I'm going to pray and then look at that passage. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for the chance this morning to look at your word, to be spoken to you by, by you, to know that you speak to us through your word and to have your spirit among us. And so please speak to us now and give us, uh, give us wisdom and give us inspiration on how we can live in your world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you come to church, minister gets to the front and he says, Jesus came to save the world. So go into the world and tell people about Jesus. All right, how many times have you heard me say that? Probably about a bazillion. All right, you've gone to church. If you've been to church lots, you've heard it over and over again. So you, you get pumped up on a Sunday and then you go out into your workplace on a Monday and you're sitting down over the lunch table and you've got other staff there or you're at uni or you're uh, at whatever you do, uh, whatever, wherever you're involved, where you bump into people on a Monday and they say to you, so what did you do on the weekend? And you say, here we go, here we go, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. I went to see a movie or I went to the footy or I did some gardening or, and you miss your chance, okay? But sometimes you get really bold. So they say, what did you do on the weekend? And you say, I went to church. I went to church. You did it. And then they just shut down the conversation, don't they? They shut it down. It kills it. They change the topic. They say, you're not religious, are you? You don't talk to me about religion. I'm not religious. They say, you're not one of those people who hate gay people, are you? Uh, it, it can get really difficult. And so the conversation that you're pumped up for on a Sunday seems so possible. You get there on a Monday and it's really hard. It's really hard. And so you go back the next Sunday and the preacher goes, rah, 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 Jesus saves. He's amazing. Go and tell people about Jesus. And then you get back to the Monday again and tell people about him. And it's still hard. And it's still hard. So it's a bit like, and it's Groundhog Day, isn't it? It's Groundhog Day. And after a while you start, well, you start to get a bit cynical. I think you start to get a bit cynical. What's, 
What's the use of speaking to people about Jesus when no one's even interested in hearing about him? Uh, our, our world's just not Christian anymore. They, they're not into really religion. They, they, they don't want a bar of it. Uh, and, and what's to matter? I'm no good at explaining the gospel anyway. So what's the use of getting there on a Monday and trying to give it a go? And, and so we just give up. We just give up because we think it's just too hard. There's too many things going against us. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. You've kind of given up. You're a little bit cynical about the whole thing about hearing about how great Jesus is, going to the world, actually being able to talk about him. And to be honest, your cynicism is probably right. If you came this morning expecting that Kurt was going to give the captain of the team motivational talk, you know, that superb zinger of a talk that's going to inspire you in such a way that you're going to be able to do it every Monday all the time, then I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not going to happen. But if it was up to me, it was not going to happen. But today God's speaking to us, isn't he? When we read the Bible, it's actually God speaking. It's not just Kurt speaking. As we read the Bible, then God spoke to us. His word speaks to us. And that is a word that actually gives us hope for our Monday lunchtimes. And so last week, we continued the new series in Acts. Uh, we started, uh, we, we said that Acts was the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, an uh, account of Jesus' life, death, and a resurrection. And so Acts begins uh, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He's appeared multiple times to multiple people as a, as a risen person, eating with people. At the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, he is with his disciples and he ascends into heaven in front of them. He goes up into heaven. He says, at that point, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come to you. They go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, we saw last week, flames of fire, and enables these disciples to speak in languages they'd never learned before. And Peter explains this was a sign that God's Holy Spirit had come, a sign that Jesus is now the risen King, that he's the ascended King of the universe. And so he says to all the people there, turn and trust in the forgiveness in Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. And so as we heard 3,000 people turn to trust in Jesus. And so at the end of chapter 2, they become this new community. They have meals together. They share their gear together. Uh, they, they listen to the apostles' teaching. And so by the end of chapter 2, this Jesus movement is exploding. In some senses, it's like, how well, are you feeling on Sunday? You know, you're feeling on Sunday. Everyone's pumped about the Jesus movement, about the Jesus explosion. It's great. Everyone's, you know, woohoo. And it keeps going in chapter 3. Okay, it keeps going in chapter 3. It keeps going. This, this powerful explosion of Christianity keeps going. And so firstly, in, in chapter 3, we see a powerful work. And, and so there's a man, uh, he can't walk, he's lame from birth, never been able to walk. He's uh, at the entrance, one of the entrances to the temple and, 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 and he's unable to go in because you can't, as a lame person, you actually can't go into the temple to worship God. And so he's actually outside the temple uh, asking for money. And so Peter and John come up to pray, verse 4 up on the screen and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said look at us and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them but Peter said I have no silver and gold but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God Peter says, I don't, it was kind of song, there's a song to that, I don't know why I said it like that, anyway, I think there's a song to it. Peter says, I don't have any money, the, the guy's asking for money, I don't have any money, but I have something actually better than that, 
He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, which in a sense is saying like, on behalf of Jesus Christ or with the authority of Christ, get up and walk. And takes his hand and he jumps up and he doesn't just, you know, stumble along because he just hasn't walked in his whole life. He's never used his leg before. He's leaping. This is a real miracle. This is not just a halfy, you know, like he's dragging his... No, this is a real miracle. This guy has, suddenly has, a, has legs that can leap. And so he's leaping, praising God. The crowd sees this guy who's been lame from birth, praising God, leaping, and they think, what on earth? They're, it says they're, they're filled with wonder and amazement that the disciples have done this powerful work of healing. And so just like in Acts chapter 2, where you had this flames of fire and the wind and speaking all these languages, this miracle that led to a speech to explain it. Chapter 3, you get the same thing as well. You get this miracle that leads to another speech. And so you have the powerful work and then you have a powerful word. So verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. That is, he saw the people amazed and wondered at what had happened. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter just wants to be really clear with them. It's not because I'm some super-powered healer, this guy can, like I've got magic hands or I'm some sort of magician or, or a path. It's not me. It's not that even I'm a particularly holy bloke or, or a pious person. And so then he goes on to repeat the same message from Acts 2, that Jesus was the promised king whom they killed, yet God raised him from the dead. And then verse 16, and his name that is Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter wants them to be really clear. It's not us. It's not that we have got something special. This man is walking because Jesus healed this man. We said right at the beginning, the book of Acts is, shouldn't in some senses be called the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus through the apostles, by the Spirit. It's the acts of Jesus. And that's why if you go back into Luke chapter 5, you see Jesus doing this, basically the same miracle. He heals a lame man, a man lame from birth. He heals him, enables him to walk. And so Peter is saying, this guy here is healed because King Jesus is alive and he is doing his miraculous work today in our midst. He's doing his miraculous work today in our midst. Since my Parkinson's diagnosis, I've had dozens of people, dozens of people pray for me, dozens, pray for my healing, that I'd be healed from Parkinson's. And so when that hasn't happened, it hasn't happened yet, when that hasn't happened, you inevitably ask questions about healing today. Do Christians get healed? Should I expect healing? All these questions. Firstly, does God even heal today? That's a good question. I haven't been healed. Now, I'm convinced from Scripture, uh, other people are not, but I'm convinced from Scripture that, there, that healing does happen today. That it wasn't just the age of the apostles where healing happened and it just stopped. I believe that God still heals today. All right, and Acts four, at chapter 4 suggests that, and kind of they pray that, suggests that miracles and, and, and healings would continue as the mission went on. So I believe God does heal today. The second question I kind of led to is, should I then expect God to heal me? Like every time, like if I ask him, he should heal me. If he loves me, he should heal me. Now that depends on what you mean by expect. Okay. Yes, we know God can heal. Uh, yes, I, I believe God wants us to be expectant that He could heal. He wants us, in a sense, to come. You know how people came to Jesus and they were completely on their, they were begging. They were saying, Jesus, please help, heal me. They were I, I, I think God wants me 
to come to him in my weakness, trusting, expecting that God could heal me. Yet at the same time, and this is where it gets tricky, I never want to presume he will heal me. I never want to presume he will heal me. But I come to him in trust, expectant that if he is willing, he will. And so it's like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, take this cup from me to the Father, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so as I come to God, I say to God, God, please heal me. Heal me of Parkinson's. Let me, set me free of it. As people have prayed for me, they pray for the same thing. But at the same time, we're saying to God, yet not your will. Sorry, but yet not my will, but yours be done. Because sometimes I've got to allow for the fact that God's purposes are bigger than making me restored from my Parkinson's. That actually God's got a greater agenda in my life than just me getting physically healed and that potentially having Parkinson's will bring greater glory to the Lord than not having Parkinson's. I've got to trust him with that. But it doesn't mean I keep going, keep coming. Third, does God heal based on the sick person's faith? All right, this is a common one. All right, the idea that uh, a person, if that person has enough faith, then they can be healed. I still have Parkinson's because I haven't believed enough. Now, verse 16, kind of, it feels like he's saying that. Verse 16b, it says, the faith that is through Jesus has given the, the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, it seems like Peter's talking there about the man's faith. The man had faith and therefore he got healed. That's, helped, that's what got him restored. But if you go back in the story, it's really interesting. The guys are walking up to the temple. This guy is sitting there uh, asking everyone for money. Peter, it says Peter directed his gaze to him. So in some senses, Peter calls this bloke out. He picks him out because it wouldn't have been just this one bloke there sitting there. You imagine as they walked in the temple, there were multiple people there. He picks this one bloke out, he directs his gaze at him and, and calls him out. This guy did not ask for healing, he actually wanted money. And so Peter can't be saying, this guy had faith in me or in, in Jesus. He didn't, he calls him out. Now, the faith Peter is talking about here is not the man's faith, it's actually talking about Peter's faith, isn't it? It's talking about, he must be talking about Peter's faith. So in, we don't know how, but Peter was somehow directed to this man by the Lord to declare Jesus' healing in this man. And Peter trusted God that Jesus would heal this man. Okay, so it's Peter's faith. Now, was the healing of this man dependent on Peter's faith? Not in the sense that Peter's faith bought him healing. Peter says, not my piety. But God used Peter's faith to bring healing into this person's life. So should we pray for healing? Yes. Do I pray for, do I have a person, I have a person from this congregation, he's not, she's not here today, but she comes up every Sunday and she prays for healing and there's a beautiful thing and I want to encourage her to do that. If we believe God is the king of the universe, that Jesus is the king of the universe, that we believe he still heals today, then yes, we come to him in dependence and trust and pray for healing for those who are ill and sick. But, here's the thing, praying for people for healing is not our main task. It's not our primary task deal. It wasn't the primary deal of the disciples. No, the primary task is to tell people about Jesus. See, that's why as you go through the book of Acts, you, you ha every, every time you have these miracles and healings, you have this speech afterwards because the, the, because the main deal is the speech. Physical healing is good, but the greater good is when you enable another person to have their whole soul restored. 
the whole person to one day exist perfectly in new creation. See, there's no use, the, the gospel says there's no use just being healed, even just being able to walk in this life if you miss out on eternity with a restored body. See, one of the reasons I think we don't share Jesus on Monday is because, honestly, we don't actually think knowing Jesus is that special. The idea of knowing Jesus, the gospel, diminishes in our mind. But the reality is there's nothing greater than you can give a person. It's even greater than being able to heal that person around the lunch table. You know, a person might be really ill around the lunch table on Monday and, and it's good to pray for them and you should pray for them. But how much better is it to tell them about Jesus? How much better is it to tell them about Jesus? So Acts 3, we have this powerful work backed by this powerful word and it's like Sunday church. We're kind of pumped up. Woohoo! Jesus heals. This word's going out. People can get saved. And then in Acts chapter 4, we kind of hit opposition. Opposition. And so it's like on Monday, basically. Monday lunch table, people give you a hard time. But what we see is that message of Jesus is unstoppable. You heard it in Eleanor's video. The unstoppable message. That's where we're going to start. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, uh, this, this is the, uh, Peter and John, the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now you think at this point that these guys have been put in jail, that people would, you know, run away. They wouldn't want to bar believing in Jesus. Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. And so fear is not stopping people believing in Jesus. You've gone from 3,000 to 5,000. This is an unstoppable message. And so the next day, the religious leaders bring them out and ask them where the power to heal comes from. And so they, Peter responds, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So they're asked to give account. Whose authority do you bring about this healing? He says, Jesus, King Jesus, the Jesus you killed. Again, a very aggressive move. Uh, but he says, the, the Jesus you killed, the one you tried to stop, but God raised him from the dead and declared him to be king. He's saying to them, Jesus is alive and his unstoppable message and his unstoppable power healed the man. And then right at the end there, he says, because it's only through Jesus that a person can be saved. Now, perhaps this morning you're someone who actually has not trusted in Jesus to be saved. But this is really, really clear. There's no other way. You cannot do it by being religious. You cannot be doing by doing good things. All the different ways we think we can make God happy with us do not work. The only way you can be saved is by trusting in Jesus' death for your sins and his resurrection for your life, your new life in him. Friends, the message of the gospel is unstoppable. Why? Because Jesus is unstoppable. He's the resurrected king and it's his message. There's nothing on heaven and earth that can prevent God saving people. Now, does it mean everyone gets saved? No. Doesn't mean that as we sit around the lunch table and we chat to people, some will be saved. Yes. And even 
when persecution tries to stop it. Even when the first thing they say to you is, oh, you Christians, you just hate gay people. Even when you get really antagonistic responses where, where they say, I'm an atheist and I think all religion is evil. It causes all the fights in the world. Even those people can be saved. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see time after time that actually when there is persecution, it doesn't stop the gospel, it actually propels it. The book of Acts is not the story, as we're reading through, it's not the story of ancient superhero evangelists, (laughs) you know, super speakers and healers. It is the story of ordinary men and women who have an unstoppable message that they share about an unstoppable Jesus and he just keeps saving people. See, I think we sometimes think the limiting factor in God's message, God's message going forward is us. And so in a sen- sense, I think we think of the gospel like a car and so we have to jump in that car, we have to pump, we have to turn it on, we have to get it going, we have to drive in the right direction and we can get God's mission going as long as we're at the wheel doing all the things we need to do. But it's more like the book of Acts shows that the gospel message, it's more like a moving train. It's more like a moving train that God invites us to get on because his gospel is going out. It saves people because Jesus is unstoppable. It's an unstoppable message that comes through, we're going to see here, unstoppable messengers. So verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter, so this is the religious leaders, Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they'd been with Jesus. So these guys look at them and think, wait a minute guys, these, they're not even religious teachers, they're not educated men and yet they have this boldness in the way they speak to the religious leaders. How can that come about? Well, they think, well, the only thing they've got is they spent time with Jesus. See, here's the qualification. This is the qualifications for you to be able to go and tell people about Jesus. You've met Jesus. You've spent time with Jesus. You don't have to have gone to Bible college. You don't even have to have read all the Bible. If you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus, if you had a personal encounter with Jesus, if you trusted Him by faith, if you know the Gospel, then you have everything you need to tell people about Jesus. Now, can you grow in your capacity to do that well? Sure. But whether you can do the most simple Gospel explanation or the most rigorous apologetic argument about Jesus, God's message is unstoppable. The gospel is simply unstoppable. You, can, you cannot actually speak and just write something down and see a person converted. Like, God's message is unstoppable. Now the religious leaders, after talking to Peter, are in a bind. They have to admit the men did a miracle. All the people saw it. So they tell people, Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Peter says, you, you've, seen, you've seen the resurrected... We, sorry, we have seen the resurrected Jesus. We know he's the king. We know he's the saviour. And so we can't help but speak about it. It's like if you see something so incredible uh, and then go home and try to keep it from the people in your household. You know, whether it's the most incredible sunset or you just had the most... You, had the best day at work where you got an incredible new job. You get in the door and you're just bursting to tell people what had happened. Peter says, we cannot help but speak about what we've heard. We're bursting. 
See, what made these messages unstoppable was that they'd seen and heard Jesus. And I think that's one of the reasons we struggle sometimes. We, we struggle to speak about Jesus sometimes because we're not speaking to Jesus in prayer, because we're not hearing from Jesus in his word and we're not enjoying relationship with Jesus. But here's, the, here's my experience. When I am enjoying relationship with Jesus every day, praying to him, listening to him through his word, then what happens to me? I have a joy, I have a contentment, I have a, a sense of purpose, so that when I get to that lunch table on a Monday and I'm looking at people who don't know Jesus, I cannot help but speak about him. I meet the person who has the health issue and I cannot help but say, hey, can I pray for you? I meet the person who's struggling in their work and finding their work-life balance and I can't help but share about how knowing Jesus helps me keep those things in check. I meet a person with marriage struggles and I cannot help testify to how Jesus helps me in my relationship with my spouse. I meet a person with chronic illness and I cannot help but share about Jesus' grace to me in the midst of my Parkinson's. See, what makes a person unstoppable in those moments is not that they have some superpower boldness that makes me enable, enables me to say hard things. What makes me bold is my conviction that is the best thing I can offer this person in that moment is Jesus. And see, I'm only going to be convinced of that if I'm enjoying him as the best thing as well, you see. See, we become evangelists for whatever we enjoy, don't we? Whether it's a TV show, all right, you've got the latest Netflix show that you're really into, you become an evangelist for that. Uh, if you're really into fishing, you might get a new type of bait that you just think catches them every time. You become an evangelist for that bait. Friends, when you enjoy Jesus as your best thing, you cannot help but speak about him and connect the dots from him to the other person's life. Peter and John were unstoppable messages because they could not help speak of Jesus. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, all right, Kurt, we've got that. We're pumped up now. We're pumped, maybe you're not. But we're pumped up. We're ready to go. Let's take on Monday. Let's hit the lunch table on Monday and tell people about Jesus. But others of you are still thinking, you know what? I've been here before. I've been to a talk like this before. I've hit the Monday lunch table and nothing happened. Nothing happened. So you're still in that cynical place. That's okay, because we're not finished with this passage. Part 5, praying to be unstoppable messengers. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They tell the church, church family, they go to them and say, tell them all about the opposition they face. And so their response is to pray. Uh, and in the prayer, they remind each other of who God is. They remind each other he's the all-powerful Lord in control of all things. And to do that, they reference a passage from Psalm 2, written a thousand years earlier, written by David, a, a prophetic picture of the Christ, Jesus, the Christ who would come, who would be rejected by the rulers of this world, but that even in the face of the rulers of the world, he would still continue to rule. He would still continue to rule. And so what they're reminding themselves in that prayer is that Jesus is the unstoppable king. He's the unstoppable king. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
They pray, God, in the face of persecution, help us to be bold and speak. Do you see what this is saying? It's saying that boldness in the gospel is not a personality type. You know, sometimes you think that, you look, that guy's bold for Jesus. I could never be. That's a temperamental, that's a personality thing. He's got a bold personality and makes him a bold Christian. But if that was a thing, then Peter and John wouldn't have to pray for it, would they? They would have been tested already. You know, we, we've shown them we're the bold speakers. That's our personality type. We're speaking for Jesus. But no, they're crying out together as a group. We need, we need to be bold. We need your boldness, God. We don't have it within ourselves. It's not, a, it's not necessarily in our personality to want to speak about Jesus on a Monday. Boldness is the work of God's Spirit. And so if you want to be bold on Monday, if you're at this point now where you're still cynical and you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it on Monday, I'm sorry. start praying. Start praying. It's not going to cost you anything. Start praying. Spend time with the unstoppable God. Ask Him to make you an unstoppable messenger. Ask him to give you the capacity to speak to your family and friends and anticipate that he will give you opportunities. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers their prayer, doesn't he? The ground shakes. It's this reminder of Mount Sinai, the cross, an expression of God's presence and the Holy Spirit gives them boldness. Acts chapter 3 and 4 is the story of an unstoppable God, a saviour who was dead but is now alive by the Spirit and is now the resurrected King and the message about him in the book of Acts is going to go forward. And he says to us, I want you to be bold. I'm calling you to carry my unstoppable message as my unstoppable messengers into the world. Now, maybe you feel cynical, but Acts 3 and 4 says, lose the cynicism. Lose it. The message you have is powerful. It's not all up to you. The message you have is powerful. And so you don't think you can say anything on a Monday other than I went to the footy or I went to church, then I want you to start by praying. I want you to start by praying. It's not going to cost you anything. Say to God, God, please help me. Please help me as I speak to my family. Please help me as I speak to my friends, my work colleagues about Jesus. Because in the end, friends, it's the best thing you can do for anyone in your life. You're all lovely people. I know you're lovely people and you care for the people in your lives. And sometimes we convince ourselves that the nicest thing we can do for people is to not talk to them about Jesus. You know, we think to ourselves, oh, look, I don't want to give them too much of a hard time so I won't talk about Jesus. It's a lie. The best thing you can do for another human being who doesn't know Jesus is to tell them about him. So friends, let's pray. Let's pray that we'd have boldness. Father God, please, Father. We, sometimes we get to the point where we think, what's the use, Lord? No one's going to be saved. Sometimes we get to the point where we think, no, nah, I'm rubbish at this. Father, for the people who are thinking that today, Father, please just help them now to have confidence, not in themselves, but in you, in Jesus, the fact that you are alive, that your message is unstoppable. And to pray, to pray that we would be bold, that we wouldn't keep thinking that we have to do something, that we just cry out to you and say, give us the boldness, give us opportunities, enable us to speak about Jesus and do the best thing we can do in the people's lives whom we love. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now friends, just letting you know, Rodney is not here today. Typically there will be a pastor here every Sunday, um, but Rodney's not here today because Josh had to go to his godson's baptism and Roger's in Canberra and there's just a whole bunch of things going on. But we do have Paul Kershaw. <laughs> so if you want to talk, Paul is uh, in charge of meetings with Roger, so if you want to chat to him about meetings, 